Now then, Brian is going to come and share with us. Um, for those of you who've been around a little while, Brian needs no introduction. If you've just been coming in the last few weeks, you may not know so much about him because he hasn't preached for a little while. And so I just want to tell you a couple of things about him as he comes to prepare. Nice things, that's all right. <laughs> um, Brian has been, uh, Brian along with Hillary, have been teaching the Bible and pastorally encouraging people for over 40 years. Okay, so it's, this isn't the first time he's been through Romans. <laughs> and when I said to them earlier in the year, I think the Lord is saying we should do Romans, um, they said to me, well, that will change everything. And so far, it's be, it, seems, it seems to be that's what God's doing. So um, I'm just uh, thrilled that they're here. Brian has, these guys do loads of stuff in the church. They encourage people, they support people, they pray for people, they lead freedom in Christ, uh, and all sorts of other things. Um, but Brian is going to pick up where I left off. And I left us in quite a tricky part at the end of Romans 7 last week. Um, it's not the easiest of chapters, but thankfully, Romans 8 comes straight after it. So shall I just pray? Yes, please. So Father, we thank you for Brian. I thank you for the preparation he's put in. I thank you for the word that he has in his heart to share. And we pray that your spirit would reveal your truth to us. That your spirit would reveal the truth of your word to us as Brian shares this morning. That we might fully, fully engage with the Bible and meet with you. Anoint him to, to, to share with us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, Lord, we're looking for supernatural revelation this morning, and we pray that in your grace and love you'll give it. Thank you, Father. Great, well, this morning, good morning, everybody. It's really good to see you. Um, uh, There was a guy called Spencer uh, who said, if Holy Scripture was a ring and the epistle to the Romans is its precious stone, um, and chapter 8 would be the sparkling point of the jewel. So sparklers doesn't just happen over there. It happens in here and in the scriptures as well. Uh, And at this stage, it would be really good if you have found a Bible of some kind, if you've got a device or phone, um, and find the NIV, that would be a a real help uh, as as well. Well, it's a privilege to be part of this series. Um, We said to Nigel it would change everything. Um, It's changing Nigel, and it's changing us as well. So it's really exciting, really good. Um, You'll see that this, um, uh, if you go to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, you'll see that it begins with uh, a therefore. And when you see a therefore in scripture, you need to ask yourself what it's there for. Um, And uh, everything the apostle Paul and indeed Nigel has been saying up to this moment, that's what it's there for. And uh, you'll see on your little notes there, a little recap um, on the diagram on, on Romans Uh, And St. Paul has been explaining the truth of the gospel from the human race's rebellion against God to justification by faith, just as if I'd never sinned, to union with Christ, um, salvation through Jesus alone, not by anything that we can do. And you'll notice that uh, this week, instead of the I's and me's of chapter 7 that Nigel was talking to us about um, last week, it changes to how we are free to live differently and victoriously and fruitfully as we live in Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's really interesting, actually, because in the, in the book, up till now, chapters 1 to 7, the Holy Spirit has been mentioned just five times. In chapter 8 that we're looking at this morning and next week, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 18 times. So you can see there's a bit of a change just around here. And Paul has also explained that the basis on which we and I, you and I can be free uh, is everything that Jesus did on the cross uh, to release us. 
Now, I want to read uh, this uh, together, but just before I do, there's something I need to explain to you. Um, so let's just put up this next one. Um, that's it. You'll see that I don't normally put it up there because I like you to have your own copies, but you'll see uh, that the word flesh has been picked out um, in red. It comes actually 12 times in 13 verses. Um, but up till quite recently, the NIV translated that as sinful nature. However, what I need you to understand right at the beginning is that the word sinful nature never comes in the New Testament. Isn't that a bit of a shock? It was a phrase that actually came in with the NIV in 1973, and it was used to translate the Greek word sarx, which means flesh, just a flesh, body, uh, whatever. Um, it's an understandable, but it's an inaccurate and misleading mistranslation of the word flesh. Now, amazingly, on no in November 2011, the NIV committee changed it back to the exact translation flesh. Now, I just can't describe to you the overwhelming evidence and pressure they would need for that to happen, let alone for, for one word, let alone with a word which comes actually 20 times in the New Testament. They just changed the whole lot back. So if you've got an NIV on your phone, uh, you probably, hopefully, won't see, see the word sinful nature. If you've got an older Bible, you will. Um, if you've got an older version of the NIV on your phone, just throw it away now. Not the phone, just the version. Uh, and make sure that you get the updated one, because it's really important. Now, why is it such a big deal? Because sinful nature makes it sound as if we, as Christians, have two more or less equal natures. There's a uh, black dog v. white dog. And uh, we hope, as we um, uh, help with the fight, we hope to goodness that inside us, the white dog wins. Is that the impression you've had? Many people do. But that is emphatically not what St. Paul is saying here and elsewhere. What he is actually saying is, you are in Christ. His divine nature and the power and person of his Holy Spirit is inside you. That is far more wonderful and such good news. Why don't we just pause for a moment and just thank God. If we've invited Jesus into our lives, just thank the Holy Spirit for being inside us right this moment. You can't see him, but you can see the results in and through your life. So we're going to read it through um, together. And uh, some of you will see that you don't have exactly the same words. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be an offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit." Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. 
those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh, to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So I'm going to be a little bit outspoken right at the beginning, and I'm going to say to you that I believe, according to the New Testament, you don't have a sinful nature. Remember the expression came in with the NIV in 1973 and it went out again in 2011. So you don't have a sinful nature. You have a new Jesus nature, which is living in your body or the flesh with its sinful tendencies, which we've all got grown up with and know fairly well. So why am I going on about this? For the simple reason that when we understand this, it changes the way that we see both ourselves and the power of Jesus at work in us. Paul is actually saying, you, I hope you caught that, you have the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit living in you. Now that is quite something. And look at verse 11 there. The Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. And verse 13, by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the, of the body. Yes, we are still living in, in our body with its old habits and tendency to sin, but they are no match at all for the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. Over the last three months, I've um, watched a particular person uh, change deeply from the in, inside out. I've watched their face change. I've watched their attitude change. I've watched their hope change. I've watched their whole demeanor change. And as far as I know, that has nothing at all to do with the circumstances around them. It has everything to do with how they've come to see themselves, how they know themselves to be in Jesus. And I've seen the beautiful person God always created them to be begin to emerge from a few very dark and difficult years. How and why did it happen? Because they're beginning to understand what St. Paul is saying here. As a result, the beauty of God's nature is just beginning to grow in their life, and you can visibly see it. 
So the first heading then is there is now no condemnation for you, verse 1. Why the now? Because Jesus died as a substitute for you. The condemnation of Jesus to the cross has dealt with your condemnation completely. So what we need to understand is when we as Christians sin, we have not lost God's forgiveness. The wonderful thing is that if we're in Christ, God has forgiven our sins, if you think about it, past, present, and future. That doesn't mean to say that we continue to sin. It means that actually our, the sins that we're going to commit are already forgiven. And we need to just rejoice in that. We really need to understand that there is no condemnation at all for us, even when we mess up. It's not that we move out of condemnation for a while, and then when we receive God's forgiveness, it's better. It's just that there is no condemnation at all. It doesn't exist for us. There's nothing except uh, welcome and acceptance for us by God. Now, you and I know that the problem is that there's a spiritual enemy who's always out to get us. And he especially tries to get us to believe things about ourselves which are not true. That is his main task in life. If I can describe it as life, it's not life really. Um, has anybody here been tempted this week? Just I uh, see a few of you tempted to not believe that you've been tempted. <laughs> okay. Anybody here been accused this week? Yeah, a few. That's amazing. The enemy obviously hasn't been working too hard. I could put my hands up for both of those straight away. So whose fault was that? Where did it come from? Was it a person? It, it may have been. That's possible. Was it God's enemy? Much more likely. And why does he accuse us? Because it's his nature. And because he wants to get us back under condemnation, if he possibly can. That's why it's so important for us to know that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. If we go wrong, we can come to the Lord and confess it. We can receive forgiveness from God, but there is no condemnation ever. And it's true for you this morning, and it's true for me this morning. It's true for every one of us who have invited Christ into our life right here. So if you are feeling condemned in any kind of way this morning, just don't accept it. Refuse now to accept it in your heart and mind because it's from God's enemy and it's a lie. All the Lord does is just speak to us. I find very specifically, very quietly and specifically. And when he does, we can confess it, receive forgiveness and just be back enjoying our intimate relationship with him because Christ on the cross has taken it all away. Now, sometimes it's really hard to believe, isn't it? But it's absolutely vital to get back to a position of no condemnation because that is the actual situation. So even when we fail, we are still children of God. He still loves you. He welcomes you. He's committed to you. There's not only no condemnation, but secondly, there's no compulsion. Aren't we doing? Yeah, that's good. Look at what St. Paul says in verse 2. The law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Now, who's uh, flown in an aeroplane in the last couple of years? Just an idea. Quite a lot of people. Yeah. Are you like me? You look at this uh, jumbo jet and you think 
about all the 400, 500 passengers aboard. You've watched them checking in their luggage. The last airplane I went into, they said, um, uh, hand luggage in the, um, uh, in the cabin, no problem at all with weight. You can just put as much as you, as you like in it. Um, and you just wonder yourself, to yourself, now how does all this tons of weight get off the ground and will it this time with me inside it? And the answer, of course, is that the law of aerodynamics has set me free from the law of gravity. It overrules it every time, and I just marvel. It's not that gravity isn't there any longer. It's that a greater, higher law comes into effect and enables planes to fly. What's winning, the law of gravity or the law of aerodynamics? Well, quite honestly, I can never believe it. Each time, each time. And they tell me that it's all to do with thrust, drag, and lift. Well, I'll, I'll believe them. I'm no physicist. <laughs> because when air flows over a wing, having a curved <laughs> upper surface, yeah, good stuff. One thing I did learn, though, if the bottom is the flat surface, that's the plane, right? When you plane things, you plane them flat. So that's why it's aeroplane. I never knew that. Ooh. So what is it, this spirit of life? How much power has it got? And again, the answer is in verse 11. It's the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. Now, is that enough power for you? Although they're in different categories, I've always thought that an, an atomic bomb is complete peanuts in comparison to the power required to raise Jesus from the dead. One is the power of life and eternity, and the other is the power of death and destruction. So how does it work in practice? <laughs> to my mind, it begins with just say no to the law of sin and death. And then we go on and to take hold of and trust the higher law of the spirit of life, which is at work in you. So let's go over some of the phrases that Paul uses. Um, he says, we are in Christ Jesus. He says, the spirit of God lives in you. You'll find them in your notes. Christ in you. The Spirit of him, God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead, is living in me and in you. His Spirit lives in you. So is that enough of the power of God in us for us to win through, do you think? I would definitely say so. Not only do we no longer have to sin, we've been set free by Jesus from the slavery of sin or the compulsion to sin. We are free not to sin. This is life-changing stuff, and I just want to play you a little um, uh, clip of somebody who found it that way, a guy called Grant. One of the things I struggled with, um, which had plagued me for many, many years in my uh, Christian life, is um, uh, watching and reading uh, pornographic material. And it was watching television programs, maybe reading inappropriate magazines, that sort of thing. And... I tried many, many times to put it down, to put it on side, and to walk away from it. But it was almost like it had a claw in me, and it just held on to me, and I just couldn't let go. And uh, I, I struggled in a sin-confess cycle. Basically, I 
sin. I'd confess and say, I'm sorry, I'd repent, and I'd be absolutely adamant that that was it. And then maybe days, weeks later, I'd be back into it again. But as a consequence of going on to uh, doing the course, and specifically uh, in section 5 where it talks about choices, I realised that I had the power of the Holy Spirit to break that. And I took that on board, I grabbed it with both hands, and I was able, right from the, that point, to stop. Um, felt like scales fell from my eyes, and my ears became a block, because I realised that the path that I'd been walking for the last number of years, 20-odd years, that I didn't have to walk that, and from that point I could choose... And from that point onwards, I did choose. You know, the attraction, the temptation is still there, but I have the strength now to walk away from it and know that I can continue to keep walking away from it. You know, and I feel so liberated as a consequence. Isn't that amazing? So, it's interesting because the choice is yours. We have a choice. And Paul talks repeatedly about those in, in this passage who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the Spirit. And the word if occurs five times. Verse 13 there, if you've got the scriptures in front of you, if you live according to the flesh, but if by, spirit, uh, by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, choices, choices, minute by minute, day by day. They are daily, moment by moment, little choices that we make, aren't there? What time I get out of bed, how I react to those around me, how fast I drive, what I let myself watch on the small screen and the big screen, how much I eat, what I want or what God wants, how much I go along with the world's suggestions, lots of little choices. I had a card this week, Christmas card, from a a good friend in Australia. Um, And uh, I was there when she became a Christian. I remember uh, famously she was wanting to chuck out lots of awful videos and that kind of thing. So she asked me to carry the black bag. She kept saying, shall I throw this one out? I said, no, you decide. Anyway, she did that. I was just there at that moment. It was a privilege to be there. But um, I can tell um, from Australia that over the last few years, she's been making a series of small choices over the months and years, which Paul would describe as a mind which is set on the flesh rather than the spirit. And I'm really sad about it. Not a lot I can do between here and Australia. Um, But she has a choice. You have a choice. But on the other hand, if we walk in intimacy and dependency on the Spirit, listening day by day to his highlighting things and uh, removing uh, just sinful things, big and small, from our lives, then our character will be gradually transformed into the character of Jesus. The way we choose for the little choices, interestingly, will set the foundation for the way that we deal with the bigger choices. The job we do, who we get close to, how much we give, how we deal with the big issues in our personal lives. Those big choices are vital too. What I want to encourage you with is that one with God is always a majority. Have we gone past that? Or Yeah, let's just try that one. There we are. And it's really important to know that and to understand the power of God in your own life. You know, I love the vineyard uh, and its emphasis on the power and dynamic of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes I worry that we can use this as an excuse to expect God to act when he's actually asking us to make faith choices. 
And if we have a danger in the vineyard, I believe it's sometimes that we come for prayer and ask God to do it for us. But interestingly, as I see the scriptures, that's not the dynamic. The dynamic is quite different, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, Moses wielded his staff, and then God dealt with the sea. The priests put their feet in the water first, then God did the miracle and dealt with the river. Jesus spoke healing to the blind man, receive your sight. He didn't ask the Spirit of God to to heal. He acted in the power of the Spirit of God. And I love what Mike Richards um, said. Uh, He called it the human divine cooperative. Let's just try the next one. And again, that's it. Uh, And I like that expression very much. We sense what God wants. We listen to him, ways leading us. Then we step out and looking completely to his power, and then he steps in and does what we can't possibly do. Notice what the action begins with God, which we hear. Then the action goes to us, which we choose. And then his power steps in behind that. And it's so important to recognize the power of the Spirit and choose it, activate it, exercise it. We have the choice all day, every day, over all sorts of things. Will I follow the flesh or will I follow the Spirit? Just say no and take hold of the power of the Holy Spirit within you. There are two ways to live according to this chapter, what St. Paul is talking about, directed by the Spirit or directed by the flesh. They're very different, and there's a continual tussle between the two. One makes us more like Jesus. The other makes us less like Jesus. One of them looks to what I want. The other one looks to what God wants. Which way are you living? Because you have to, you need to live in the Holy Spirit's way. Because actually we're not addicts to sin. Rather, the death of Christ has set us free from sin's power over us. And his strong spirit within us leads us into holiness and victory. I put rather a strong assertion by Simon Ponsonby in there because I didn't dare say it myself. But if he says it, then it's okay. (laughs) If you continue in sin, you have not relied on the Holy Spirit. Whoa. And then lastly... We are Father's family. Uh, another, another therefore. What's it saying? I think it's saying that if God has given us his powerful Holy Spirit, then we should be using it to put to death the flesh in us and to live according to the Spirit. Because at the same time as we've been given the powerful, loving Spirit of life, we've actually been adopted into God's family. What does that mean in practice? It simply means that each of us is a member of Abba Father's family, Papa's family. And we've been adopted into this family where there is so much love and welcome and acceptance for us. And once we see that, we won't want to follow the Spirit because we ought to. We'll be wanting to follow the Spirit because it's Father's Spirit and because we want to. We want nothing more. um, We could want nothing more in the world. Our motivation is to please him and stay close to him rather than obey any kind of rules. Just to reassure you ladies around, the reason Paul talks about sons is because in Roman adoption, it was the son who received the full inheritance. So it goes for men and women, but he just wants to show that Father Papa has done for each of us 
sons or daughters, and given us the whole inheritance, everything. This is how the message version puts it, which I rather like. God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is, our father, papa, and we know who we are, his child. And we know that we're going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through, and if we go through the hard times with him, then we'll certainly go through the good times with him too. Isn't that nice? I like it. By the way, I wonder whether you noticed in the small print, if you look at uh, uh, verse 17, uh, if indeed we share in his sufferings. It's kind of one of those things that just got slipped in right at the end. Don't you really find it annoying when they say all oh, ter- terms and conditions? Well, if you want to uh, continue, uh, push next. And, uh, and it's a bit like that. That's exactly what St. Paul's doing. Oh, and he says, oh, actually, and there's a bit of suffering. But if you want to continue, just push next and uh, you'll be fine. <laughs> Why is it included? Why is it included? It's because the way of love is the way of suffering. And Jesus shows supremely that you can't have one without the other. The way of love took Jesus to the cross and suffering. So Paul just simply reminds us that it comes as part of the package. So if you're going to have sacrificial love, then sufferings are in there. They come with a bundle. But let me assure you that they're always worth it. And actually we meet God right in the midst of them. So, brothers and sisters, the brilliant truth of this amazing passage is that through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set us free, set you free from the law of sin and death. It's a higher law. It works every time. And it's really true. So teach us, Lord, to walk free. Thank you, Lord. What I, what I thought we might do is, in, um, for a moment or two, just ask the Holy Spirit to show us something specific which we're struggling with or is maybe a particular challenge to us at the moment. And uh, when he does, we'll have a little time of quiet. And when he does, uh, you can make a choice. You can make a decision before the Lord to live and act by the Spirit when you encounter it in future as you remember that the Spirit has raised Jesus from the dead, is living in you. So let's have a moment or two of quiet. Just ask him to show us a particular situation where we struggle with. We may be uh, failing. It may just be challenging. And now just before the Lord, each of us can decide to walk in the Spirit, in the power of the resurrection, over that particular thing. Maybe we'll just have the band up, could we, to, for a moment. And uh, what I'm going to suggest is that if you'd like to come up for prayer, uh, there'll be people already and waiting to pray for you. Uh, but if those who, of you who are coming to pray, uh, instead of praying for a person, why don't we try this morning just praying with a person? So they are making the choice, they are taking the action, and we are there to encourage them and to encourage the power of the Spirit to work in their life. Okay. Thank you, Nigel. I'll um, hand over to those. Why don't we stand together?
Thanks so much, Brian. This is um. This is a this is a day for freedom. And uh, for some of us, we need to walk into our freedom. Nelson Mandela wrote a book called The Long Walk to Freedom. It's quite a short walk for us. Um, but for some of us, the Lord's just saying it's time to um, to make that decision and to um, just make that choice. And so if you would, uh, if you'd like to do that, why don't you come and just stand here? Nobody's going to ask you details. This is an opportunity for us to engage with God and just to uh, tell him the choices we're making. Maybe ask him for forgiveness or whatever, but the guys are going to play gently over us. And um, what I'm going to just do simply is invite you to come. And uh, if that's a choice that we want to make today, please come stand worship start to engage with God start to do business with him if we know that we're in need of freedom then he's here to help us make that choice help us make that decision yeah yeah and when us. you come for prayer we're going to pray with you rather than for you Folks, come and stand and pray.